Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. Um, I really like our topic tonight. The topic is the heart and soul of caring. And our guest tonight is Robert Sharp. We're going to bring Robert on in just a minute, but um, I, I wanted to talk about the uh, the dynamics of the family, and um, it, it kind of relates to the show tonight, but uh, I want to take a step back, just a step back and look at it from a soul's perspective, because the, the notion that the soul... Before we're even born, the soul takes a look at the dynamic of the family and chooses the family dynamic um, as a as the birthplace, so to speak, of of a life path, if you will. And some of us are born into very very challenging family dynamics, perhaps uh, alcoholism or domestic violence or um, other many other kinds of of really hardcore struggles. I mean, just brutal, really um, family dynamics that uh, we can be born into. And yet, the soul had an idea. The soul saw value to the dynamic every single time, and to the human being. It can seem like uh, a bit of a train wreck, or that the god the gods aren't happy with you, or how the hell did I draw this lotto number, so to speak? But um, there's a there's an agreement going on at a soul level that supersedes the challenge itself, if you will, and yet and yet the um, the the notion that life will not be corralled, or um, you can't squeeze it into some kind of a template. And what I mean by that is, um, as we're going to talk about in the show tonight, sometimes events, circumstances, and whatnot come along that turn the family dynamic on its head, and it and uh, it doesn't it really doesn't matter what was happening previously in life, whether it was a challenging life for many, many years or if it was an easy life for many years. Sometimes when that family dynamic gets turned on its head, then a whole new realm of um, caring and compassion for someone that, um, that you might not see eye to eye to or that you might uh, be... Um, really, uh, a loving persona in your life. Your uh, and and God, the dynamics of the family is so broad and diverse on this planet with seven billion plus people on it. You could dream up any scenario, and there'd be droves of people living it out. So, I'm I'm delighted to bring this episode to air 
because I think it needs to be talked about. And and um, Robert and I were talking before the show was about to start, and indeed the book has found uh, uh, um, an audience that needed to hear what it had to say. So without further ado, let's let's get to the show. The topic is the heart and soul of caring, the joys and challenges of being a caregiver. Our guest tonight, Robert, is the founder of the BiteRadio.me. He's a host and producer of Bringing Inspiration to Earth radio show and the author of Joy Potential, where you'd least expect it. It's no secret. Uh, Spirituality Bites, and the photo book, Nature's Inspiration, Volume 1. In addition to his radio work, Robert has also offered self-publishing and self-relation support services. He has more than 20 years radio experience, including both broadcast and internet-based show development. Robert has a bachelor's degree in psychology from Whittier College. Um, and he had me on his show just not that long ago. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome you to the show tonight, Robert. Hello, Les, and thank you again for inviting me. It's really a pleasure, to, and I appreciate this chance to talk with you. Well, now, you've written a book, The Heart and Soul of Caring, The Joys and Challenges of Being a, a Caregiver, and it it is really it seems like a compilation of individual stories of people who are um perhaps unexpectedly thrust into the caregiver role or and some of them saw it coming but um to become a caregiver especially when you're not expecting it can change your life for years and even decades um what was the inspiration to write this book? Well, it's interesting. The The seed for the idea actually came to me in a waking dream. Um, just, just before I woke up, I had this idea that I needed to write this caregiving book um, and that it, the, the difference between this and others would be to make sure to give tribute and honor to the spirit of the care receiver. You know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, in the caregiver-receiver relationship, um, many times the the essence or spirit of the person receiving the care can sometimes get lost in, in just in the day-to-day activities that a caregiver has to do. So to me it was, it just seemed that you know we needed to remember that without this need for care and, and this essence of a person you know there wouldn't be that that kind of dynamic or relationship so anyway it was it was just that waking dream that it you know the focus needed to be on the essence of the person kind of giving tribute to that person um and then also recognizing you know having the individual talk about not only the challenges of being a caregiver, but the joys. Because, you know, quite often, even though it may not seem at the time, the caregivers really do get a lot out of that relationship. So, 
you know, after that dream, it's like, okay, I need to go ahead and get started. And, and actually, my, my sister was a caregiver for my mother, so I started with her. I thought, well, let me go ahead and, and see if she'd be willing to write a story um, about her experience with caring for my mother, and she did. And, and then from that point on, it was just um, basically talking to people that I knew and, you know, seeing if they, you know, who are caregivers and seeing if they wanted to go ahead and, and tell their story. And that's kind of how it all came about. Well, the the book is um, uh, seemingly simple. I mean, there's there's only 11 stories in the book. It's not really a big book. But yet um, you can't help but kind of, uh, shifts your perspective as you start to read the stories. Um, why did you feel it was necessary to publish this book at the, at this time? Well, the, excuse me. The the and it was that there were only eleven. And I, even though I was seeking stories, it wasn't one of these cases where I had a specific place to go to to gather them. So it was really as a result of just people I knew from friends on Facebook, maybe former guests from the show. But so it, it took a you know, kind of a while to gather, you know, a, a good variety of stories. And then, um, and then also from the time I started the book until the time it was published, three of the people in the book had passed on. So I thought, I had better get this out there now before any more people, you know, mentioned in the right. book passed on. I really wanted to get this information out there. So I thought, you know, this is a good variety of stories. There's um, some really good points for people to to garner from those stories and maybe res- you know, what story would resonate with them. And, you know, and, it, and it, to me it just kind of seemed like a beginning, you know, to be able to get it out there. So that's kind of why I did it, you know, didn't want to wait longer until I get more stories and make it thicker. But, you know, it was just it was just a good representation, um, and I felt that it could help people. And, you know, that was the kind of the main focus, really. Sure. I um, It kind of opened my eyes to read the stories about, um, I mean, the different stories about the different levels of care and, and how it can transition from one level of care to another. Uh, I mean, from one extreme that the, the, the patient or the receiver is more or less functional, but you have to check in on them to make sure something didn't happen, to the flip side of that where they cannot do anything without somebody to help them. They're literally bedridden, perhaps. And uh, um, as a caregiver, boy, that can go from uh, just something you do during your week to a totally encompassing part of your life. I mean, um, how when you look at that dynamic of, of caregiving, I mean, um, how do you see the role of the caregiver and and how it can evolve yeah that's that was one of the things that for me was eye opening you know seeing the the variety and depth you know that the caregivers um provided you know and the you know from 
the one particular story um, with Joyce and, and Martha, whose mother was bedridden and could not even communicate, and they had to kind of hoist her every day and, and do all. I mean, it was you know very physical kind of care that they had to do in home um, for seven years. I just you know when I sat back and you know after. You know, Joyce told me the story. It's like, Joyce, how in the world did you survive that? And she said, well, you know, it was just day by day um, and learning things that they thought um, they would never be able to do but did, you know, because it was their mother. And, and they really, you know, I mean, it was she had no one else to help her and you know and that it was key for them you know to give back to their mother the love that she gave to them you know for their whole lives so you know and and recognizing that i mean even i mean but it was challenging i mean it it wreaked havoc with you know their uh, their work schedule their personal life i mean you know just threw everything into uh you know a state of chaos but she said that you know even though that chaos was there, and even though that those physical challenges were there, and even though that they were doing doing things that they never thought that, that they could do, that you know, in the end, they would do it all again. They had absolutely no regret. They felt gratified for being able to um, give their mother uh, the level of of love and care, you know, that she gave them. You know, and and I think you know that was one of the the things throughout the stories that I was just um, really amazed and humbled by the idea that, you know, each of these caregivers, you know, faced varying degrees of challenge, but every single one of them, you know, got something from that experience, you know, some kind of uh, life purpose or satisfaction or just deep-seated you know like you mentioned the soul you know you know and the soul and family and that kind of thing you know it was one of those things where you know they felt that their soul was fulfilled in a way by completing this the circle of life i guess in a way you know for their mother so um so yeah i mean it's it's amazing, you know, that uh, the people have been able to um, redirect their lives, redirect their activities, put on put some things on hold, um, you know, maybe even sometimes put some of their dreams on the back burner to be able to to do and, and care for you know their their loved one. Um, but that you know that was the one thing that I think you know out of after getting all of the stories that was the one thread that really seemed to i mean it didn't really surprise me in a way but but it was in 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 another way it was um it was to me it was a message to the caregivers out there even though you're you know even though you're in the the heat of the moment here dealing with some issues or challenges um if you don't see it now you will in hindsight see the the gifts that you'll receive having done that Right. And uh, what I noticed in the book is the different types of um, um, requirements or challenges, if you will, um, dementia and Alzheimer's are talked about. And so, so say, for example, it's your parent 
and you spend all these many decades in a in a warm and loving family and then and then the parent gets dementia or alzheimer's and their memory starts to go it uh, it puts an extra layer of challenge on it when the parent doesn't remember um the child even the child's name or or perhaps um they'll they'll perhaps drift into other dementias and and talk about things that they're seeing that um, don't relate to the the caregiver's experience. So it's it's like the the guest is checking out before they die, so to speak. And and sometimes that's a challenge because you don't always know what the intention of the of the patient is as far as end of life terms or. Uh, like do not resuscitate and when they disconnect you're it leaves you on your own to decide the fate of a person who won't communicate with you in a meaningful way wow that's got to be stress at a whole different level yeah yeah that is you know that was the one thing that i i hope you know that readers will, will take away from reading a couple of the stories it's just you know that um End of life um, decision making, you know, the, like the DNR, you know, do not resuscitate, or you know, there's just even funeral arrangements, um, all, all kinds of basic, um, you know, activities that really need to, to take place, you know, after death, or even, you know, in the case of you know a parent who has. Alzheimer's or, or dementia, and they're to the point where they can't make their own decisions. You know, it, it's just so important to have have the discussion with your parents. You know, parenting up, having those discussions with the parents, and and you know, even though it may be uncomfortable to talk about you know them not being with you, you know, um, in, in the future, but it's um, it, it just seems so. Um, important you know if you're a, a parent who may be in the early eight, you know, stages of alzheimer's you know where you you know have more lucid moments than not um you know it's important to go ahead and get that established you know so you know because a couple times like for example the dnr i had a personal experience in the in the, in the book i talk about um, with my father who had a DNR, a do not resuscitate order um, for him. And, and then when it got to the point where he was, uh, that the DNR had to be kind of put into place, uh, I, I had a copy, his, do- his doctor had a copy, his wife at the time had a copy. None of us could come up with our copies. And it, it was excruciating because, you know, I, I had had the discussion with him many times, you know, I mean, it's, he was one of those cases where, you know, he would, he would talk about, well, when I'm not here, blah, 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 you know, and, and he, you know, did get to the point of, of that preparation of having a, a do not resuscitate, and then he gave it to several people, but when it came time, we couldn't locate, none of us could locate ours, and, and I was with him, and, you know, I, I basically tried to communicate to him, you know, listen, you know, you, you gave me this DNR, you know, and, and, and he wasn't, he wasn't communicative. I mean, he, 
the only way we could communicate was, you know, him doing the one blink for yes, two blinks for no, you know, for me. I mean, if I, when I caught him in a, in a lucid moment. And so I, I got him to the point of, you know, listen, this is where it's what's happening. You know, you know, the, the chances are, you know, your organs are failing and, you know, it's, you know, the DNR, we can't find it, you know. So do you want us, in fact, to continue with that or what? And, and you know, when I asked him that question, the last question about, you know, do you want us to continue, he hesitated. I mean, it was like up to that point I did the, you know, asking questions, kind of like a, a test, you know, a baseline, yes and no kind of questions. And, and he answered right. every, everyone with a blink properly and quickly. You know, but when it came time to answer that one, he was like a delay. It's like, oh, my God, now what do I do? You know, so, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's just one of those cases where, you know, um, you're making life or death decisions, you know, and you're making it for someone you love. And you truly, truly want to honor their wishes. So it is just so important to, to have that in place so that their wishes are met. You know, you don't want it to be, you know, your your view or your doctor's view or your, you know, religious you know, leaders view. You want it to be their opinion and their you want them to live or end their life on their terms. And to me it's it's just so critical to have that, that happen. Well, I mean that brings to light the notion of of talking about this stuff before the storm, if you will, before the unexpected curveball that life might throw you. Because one of the stories, um, uh, a father goes camping with his son, and while they're off camping, their life changes. I mean, it, it was such an unexpected tangent in their day-to-day life. Sometimes it seems like uh, there would be a point in life that these conversations come up before the storm, if you will. I mean, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, you're right. You know, in, in that particular story, as a matter of fact, I spoke with that woman today, earlier today, and uh, her husband had um, had been in um, hospice care, you know, like for her, for just recently. Most of the time since he had that uh, that stroke, he was at home, and there was there was that caregiving at home. Recently, he had a, a major setback, had to go in hospice care. Found out today that you know he'll be able to uh, you know go home for Thanksgiving and, and actually be there, but it's still nonetheless a very much a caregiving role. And and you know for her it was one of those cases. It was just completely out of the blue, um, and you know that. And and her son, as a matter of fact, who was with her father on that camping trip when that happened, she told me today that it had been a horrible week, that her son had had a a minor um, heart attack. And he was 39 years old, and he's doing okay now, but but it was just one of those things where it was, you know, for a 39-year-old, that was like completely out of the blue. And so it's like... You know the the saying your your tomorrow is not you know guaranteed. You know your next moment really right. isn't guaranteed. So so there really is no better time than the present you know, to to do that to have that discussion about you know what your desires are, what what you would like to 
you know, to have happen, you know, should you, you know, be in a position of, you know, your, your medical care and your, you know, all of your um, life decision-making, you know, kind of uh, questions, you know, should be noted if if not in writing, then certainly through as many people as you can can speak to, just to get that confirmation, knowing that you know if we get to that particular point suddenly, then at least we will know what you wanted to have happen. You know that we will follow your desires because we talked about it. Right, and it's. Uh to have that out out on the table and and i i would think there'd be value to establishing the rapport of talking about it because uh sometimes our parents uh, as stubborn as they can be i know it's hard to imagine <laughs> that um they might not feel comfortable talking about their own mortality and and if you wait until they're really sick and then approach it, I mean, even though it can be a, a difficult subject, it might be worth uh, bringing up before any of those complications come to light. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I have found, you know, that one of the kind of the best ways to approach that, because, you know, no, I mean, it's hard, you know, thinking about one's own mortality, but but. When it comes time to talking to parents about that, it, my thought is, is that you, you basically sit down and say, listen, you know, God forbid something should happen tomorrow. You know, I don't want this to happen for decades, but I want to honor what you want to happen. I want to know what you believe, what you feel, you know, at, whenever that ha- time happens, what what you would like to see, you know, and that you know if you kind of put it in the frame that you know i'm 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 not looking forward to this day you know and i really want it to be decades away you know but i want to honor what you want you know so i mean what it does is it you know it it kind of um i mean and, and for some parents who may not have thought about it you know, they may get them thinking, you know, they may not have any, you know, quick, you know, quick answers, but it, at least it it starts the conversation, you know, and, and and gets them thinking about, you know, that particular time, what it is that they want, you know, and then the fact that you you want to honor their wishes, you know, and um, and I think, you know, when it comes time to that time in life when we're, te- you know, teetering, you know, from this world to the next, you know, that one of the um, biggest maybe fears or uncertainties is that um, when that time happens, you know, what what's going to happen afterwards? I mean, you know, first of all, you know, beyond that, that soul, you know, movement transition, but also for the people who are left behind, you know, what's going to happen, you know, can I make it easier for them to to handle the um the challenges. Now I know one friend whose mother has everything planned out. I mean she's got her, her funeral music, she's got the picture for for her her you know um <laughs> her uh, life celebration, she's got her dress out. I mean it is like all laid out. 
Um, she even asked me to do a little video ahead of time so she could preview it <laughs> before, you know, before that time. Right. But but I hadn't done that yet. But um, but you know, but you know, it's just one of those cases where she has it all planned out. She knows what she she knows how she wants to go out of this particular world, you know, and she wants wanted me, you know, and uh, her son to know um, exactly what that was. And and you know, and honestly. I'm relieved with that because it's like, you know, I don't have to make any decisions. I don't, I mean, and he doesn't have to make any decisions about, you know, what is to happen. I mean, it, we're going to follow her wishes to the T, you know. And, and for people who are, you know, um, uh, maybe not even at, at that point of, of transition, you know, that, that if you're, you know, getting up in years that you're a parent and you want to make life easier for your son or daughter, to you know, go ahead and make those decisions and, and let them know and, and make the plans and you know make it easy so that you know when it comes time to you know to following through it's like it's fine it's great we're following what you want I don't have to feel guilty of maybe doing something you didn't want or um, you know maybe kind of missing the boat and, and not honoring honoring you as as I should. You know those kinds of things. So it kind of relieves the pressure of the time. Yeah, certainly I can absolutely see the value of that. Well, um, let's let's flip the conversation over to the caregiver. You know, in the book, uh, um, there were stories of um, uh, like incremental. Um, uh, loss of ability in the patient where the patient required more and more attention as time went by. And as the mm-hmm. caregiver, maybe what brought you into that circumstance, it might not have been as much of a demand on your time, but um, as you develop these habits, as you go through your week of taking care of, of the a person and then their uh, physical demeanor uh, takes a few notches down, and they require more and more of your time and attention. Um, the caregiver can get lost, if you will, in the sense that th- their whole life kind of skews. The amount of time they have skews. The amount of effort it takes skews. And if they don't have the wherewithal to kind of take care of themselves. In in one of the stories, um, a woman would use drive time to talk on the phone, and she'd, she used drive time to catch up with people. But w- what she found out was she didn't have any time for herself, and she changed her drive time to kind of her own personal sacred time and she got a lot of insights about what was going on by slowing down and stopping her busy schedule for those drives. She got intuition. She got information about how she could change how she was living her life to help keep her in balance. I mean, what would you say to caregivers as far as uh, uh, striking a balance as a disease progresses? Yeah, that. And that is a tough one, you know. With, with that woman, uh, Milana, um, she she was a naturopath, so she 
uh, her training, you know, kind of uh, was to make sure that her life was in balance and, and to take uh, natural remedies to, you know, be um, you know, connected to her source. Um, and, you know, as, um, as you indicated that, you know, as, as her husband's uh, health deteriorated, um, she ended up having to naturally spend more time for him. But then, of course, that took time away from the things that she loved, you know, things that brought her happiness and joy, um, you know, even even working with clients, you know, which was one of the things she was very much a, a giver and a, and a healer in that way. And, and, you know, she was, because of her training, she was, I believe, you know, in tune and astute enough to know that she really needed to get that balance, you know, that, that she needed to, you know, have that, you know, however she could do it. And then for her, it was that drive time, you know, they were in Honduras and, and lived in a rural area and, and, and required her driving into town, you know, a couple of times a week. So she, you know, shifted um, her perspective, you know, in that drive time from being, you know, just having to take care of chores to it, like you said, being her sacred time for her to kind of tune in and 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 uh, and connect and, and, and balance. And so for her, and so for um, oh, and there there was the other story of a gentleman whose mother-in-law, you know, her um, Alzheimer's started off first light, and then it kind of got into heavier and heavier. Um, and more challenging aspects that required more care and more attention. So the, in, in both cases, you know, the caregiver uh, recognized that, you know, it was really important to have balance in their life, to be able to um, to give themselves their, you know, free time, um, time to do things that they loved, uh, time to bring joy into their life, that, that balance, um, and, and to do it in a, um, in a guiltless way, you know, recognizing that, you know, I, I could be with my husband or my mother-in-law, you know, giving them the attention that they need, you know, but I, I really do need some alone time. I really do need some downtime. I do need some time to ground myself, to be able to, to be balanced, to go out with friends and and have a good time, and not feel bad about that. Because, um, you know, even though you know we're um, caregivers, you know that um, it, it's really important to recognize that it's a part of our life, and and it's just important not to make it our whole life. You know, because, you know, once that happens, then resentment kind of sets in. There's there's a whole lot of um, negative feelings that can kind of erupt putting your life on the back burner, you know. Um, and then when the person passes on, it's like, oh, my God, you know, now what do I do? I've put my life, you know, on hold for so long. How do I get it back? So so it's just so important to to have you know, that balance time, you know, that alone time, not to feel guilty about it, to recognize that, you know, in the end, you know, you, you, the caregiver, are going to be happier, more balanced, more peaceful, and that you will, when you bring that into the caregiving 
um, activities is just so much healthier than you know what the alternative would be. Right. Well, I I really enjoyed reading your book. Uh, now, what's unique about your book as it is compared to other caregiver books out there? Um, I I think it's the um, you know the focus on you know the care receiver you know recognizing um, who that person is and um, and then also the the idea of you know joy you know the, the focusing on the joy and, and gifts that can be received you know in a caregiving receiving you know, relationship um, and then also the you know there are some you know really good advice you know from each of the the caregivers as to how they handled the situations and how they got through it um and for you know for the reader to to recognize that uh even if they feel that they can't do it they can um you know and and you know to feel empowered and then and, and to look into you know what um what gift you know that they will receive from this you know and it's it's one of those things that it seems to me is that you know that when you start talking about the soul and the soul contract and family is that you know my my thought is is that you know when the soul comes into this incarnation and we come into a family you talked about sometimes it's it's not sometimes it's great sometimes it's not you know sometimes it's a challenge and and my thought is is that the whole idea of family is um, like an experiment in unconditional love. You know, when you right. come into this incarnation, you come into a family, the idea that the family loves you no matter what, no matter who you are, what you are, um, no matter the circumstances. And again, sometimes it works and sometimes it's it's not. You know, it doesn't work. But But the whole idea of unconditional love, to me, the whole idea of unconditional love is the goal, you know. And when it comes to end-of-life care, uh, you know, particularly in cases of Alzheimer's and dementia, when the individual is, is not quite there, you know, the, the person that you knew and, and for many years, is, is that the, the love and care you provide is to that essence, that soul, that that mother, that father, no matter what the circumstance. It's it's more unconditional almost than any time other than being a child, you know, their child, you know. Um so to me it's it's a you know, it's kinda of like you come into this life, you know, learning about unconditional love, the parent for a child, you know, and then you go out of this life, you know, recognizing and and learning about that unconditional love. Well, yeah, I like that. Um, unconditional love, if that's not the the uh, holy grail, if you will, of uh, personal relationships. Well, um, from from compiling these stories and writing the book, how did you change personally? I mean, how did these stories touch you? Well, um, first of all, the 
there is the one story, like I mentioned early on in the show, that my sister was the first one who asked to do it, and it was a caregiver for my mother. Um, it, it was her story and caring for my mother that kind of really just, you know, really propelled me to to make sure that this project was completed because uh, in the story, my sister, who is a nurse um, and very um, proficient in caring for people in the physical aspect, um, found that, you know, her biggest challenge was the emotional and spiritual aspect of care. That was was her challenge. And, and um, it wasn't and, – and after my sister submitted her story, she mentioned that one of the um, – one of the saddest parts for her was the um, inability to get our mother to – reconcile with her second son which was me <laughs> and right. we had we had a, an estranged relationship for for many years but it wasn't until i got that story from her that i realized the extent that my sister went through to try and, and bridge that gap you know and and it was um to to me when, when i read that it was like first of all it was like i was i was stunned you know i was shocked it was something that i didn't realize i mean i obviously knew about the estrangement but i mean it, and, and and her illness but but it was you know the the extent that she went through to to try to make that happen to me when i learned that it was like you know i thought how many other stories out there are, are there of caregivers who are working to help their loved one physically, spiritually, and emotionally through some of their end-of-life um, uh, challenges and fears, but but they don't communicate. They're not communicated to their loved ones. You know, their brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles or nephews. You know, I mean, so for me, it was that was a very personal thing for me. You know, it was one of those eye-openers that, you know, it's like, okay, this was something I didn't know. This is very profound for me. Um, You know, for, you know, if I had known the extent she went through, I don't know if there was anything I could have done differently, but it it would have, knowing it would have, you know, possibly prompted some action on my part to maybe help my sister out you know, help her meet, achieve that one goal that she was trying to help my mother um, accomplish. Um, so, it, you know, recognizing that, it was one of those things where I just felt that, you know, it was really important that, you know, the, that these kind of stories get people talking and, and sharing and for caregivers to to let others in their family know, um, you know, the you know, the challenges and, and maybe fears, you know, that their loved one is going through and, and maybe um, elicit some support and, and help and maybe help that transition for the loved one be more peaceful, you know. So that that was the biggest one for me. Well, that's curious because it's bringing up the the sibling relationship as it relates to uh, a caring for a parent. And I I suspect there's, you know, there's so many different paradigms or stories of uh, family dynamics. 
the the fear of death, the fear of losing a loved one. Um, one sibling might have a completely different um, response to what's happening than another, perhaps. Where, and and sometimes you're not given a choice. You have to pretty much roll up your sleeves and get to it. But to have a dialogue um, in the back channels, if you will, amongst your siblings can help alleviate some of the the tension, the unknown. You know, like I, I can certainly see that the pressure, so to speak, the anxiety of, well, mom or mom's going to die or dad's going to die and the kind of the unknowingness uh, amongst the siblings can can create a whole a collage of different responses, yet to kind of break the ice, even amongst siblings, can help um, dissipate some of the angst, if you will. Does that make sense? To, to um, the, the communication can really... Communication can uh, make a challenging time more tolerable and more perhaps understandable. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, family dynamics are, are just uh, can be so complicated. You know, I mean, you know, there are there are cases I've heard. You know, after the the book has been out and, and I've heard back from some of the readers, there are cases where you know a one sibling was the primary caregiver for mom or dad. You know, and the others didn't want anything to do with that. They you know either they were out of the area or, or they just didn't have that close connection with mom or dad, and, you know, and then when it came time to making decisions, you know, who was to make the decisions in the primary. Um, in, in the book, there's the story, again, of George and, uh, Joyce and Martha caring for their mom. Um, now, Joyce was a very um, particular woman. She wanted to make sure things were done in a very certain way, and, and she was very... Um, um, I won't say OCD, but I mean she was very, du- you know, direct in exactly what she wanted, what she thought needed to be done, and did it. Uh, Martha was was less so; she was more laid back, and and, and so I mean, and that that created in itself some kind of tension. You know, what is the proper, you know, approach <laughs> to giving mom care? You know, and so and and, and my thought in that particular one was that you know the parent. Probably, even if the parent wasn't, you know, you know, responsive as in, in their case, the parent probably recognized that that individual distinction between the two siblings. You know, and yeah, well, that's Joyce, or well, yeah, that's Martha. You know, and you know, it kind of maybe even chuckle, you know, with that 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 idea. You know, that um, that each one has their own you know, approach their own relationship and would handle things in their own particular way. And and you're right, I think, that uh, by having discussions um, about, you know, about care, and then if you can do it when your parents are are there to contribute, you know, to the discussion, I mean, you know, uh, if, you know, George and Martha's mother had the discussion with them ahead of time, she might say, well, you know, 
you know, Joyce, I really like your approach. You know, you know, I hope that you know when we get to that point, if we if we get to that point, you know, you'll be able to kind of do that, and then it would maybe give Martha a little bit of insight that you know, mom wants more, you know, attention to detail kind of care. You know, so um, so that would be that would certainly be beneficial if it could be done ahead of time. But like you said, you know, sometimes it's difficult to bring the topic up, um, you know, for discussion, but. But in the long run, you know, if you really want to have a uh, cohesive family um, kind of situation, and and you want as a as a an individual, you want your wishes to be um, taken care of, and 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 kind of you, you want your end of life to you want your life to end in the way in the terms and that you really wanted to, then it's just really important to make sure you make that communication to all of all of your, you know, particular parents, to, to your, um, your sons and daughters, you know, or if you don't have sons and daughters, to people within your, your, your circle, you know, people who would be the decision makers at that particular time. Right. Yeah, I like that. So what is the purpose of the blank our story section that is at the end of the book yeah that was that was interesting because i had done i had finished writing the book got the proof copies of it and and had sent it out to several you know friends and family to read it and get their feedback and, and that kind of thing and and the one thing that that surprised me um at that particular time was that you know they would the people would end up you know talking about you know stories that they related to or with which they resonated um but then shortly after that they would immediately begin to talk about their own personal caregiving story whether it was them providing care for someone or um a relative providing care but but it was to me it was it was almost immediate almost with every single person it was it was like uh, you know I like the stories this particular story I felt I really you know I really um liked and can associate with and it reminded me of my story with blah 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 and then they would continue on to their story so one of the things and and, and again it was an afterthought but I thought you know it would be nice to be able to have at the end of the book um, a space for a caregiver to write their own story. You know, in each of the stories, there's a picture of the care receiver. Um, so at the end, our story, there's a space for people to put their picture of, you know, of their loved one and write their story and share it. And you know, and and to me, it was. Um, a good way. I know of one individual who, who who got that, and and immediately she, you know, kind of put in the story of, of caring for her father at the end of life, and then she wrote in that space and gave it to her kids, you know, copies to her kids for them to to learn more about their mom, you know, and what she did to take care of their grandpa. And and then and my personal thought was like she also let them know. You know how she, in turn, would like to be cared for, if and when it got to that particular point. So, so it's a, it was just a way to to personalize the book. You know, to be able to give um, the reader a chance to share their story. 
with, with their loved one. Well, I like that. Um, so, what were did you notice any common threads uh, from the stories that were submitted? Yeah, um, a, a lot of them. A couple of the threads. One of the the, the main thing was um, the you know the the end of life and you know fear of the end of life. A couple of the stories, uh, people. Uh, the care receivers were very fearful that they were going to go to hell. <laughs> you know that there was it was just one of those cases where they felt that they had made you know some bad decisions in their life, you know, or decisions they felt were bad, and that they were going to be punished for that, and they were going to go to hell, and that was it, and there was no going back, and and they were scared, to, literally scared to death of this, you know, and. And to me, that was—I mean, to me, it was just so sad, you know, to to realize that, you know, at that particular point in life, that people were, first of all, you know, judging their mistakes, you know, as as being so serious that they were going to be, you know, in you know, fire and brimstone, hell and damnation, you know, and, and it was. And, and to me, it, it was, um, I, I don't know, to me, it, it just, in a, in a way, it kind of angered me. It was kind of like, you know, this is the, this, we, we should be able to um, have people transition from this life to the, the hereafter um, in, in a peaceful way, you know, in, in recognizing, yeah, we may have made mistakes, um, but, you know, you know, we, we did some good things, you know, and that, you know, um, that we're not going to be condemned, you know, for our mistakes, you know. And so anyway, right. those, those those two stories kind of really, you know, got me unnerved in a way to, to recognize that, you know, um, you know, and one of them was my mother. She was just a, such a very fearful, fearful woman. You know, and and you know that, and it was it, to me it was just sad. So, you know that that was one thing, and and then the other thing was that the other thread was the gifts. You know, um, some people um, ended up you know finding some internal strength that they just never thought that they would have. Um, there there was um, one woman whose intuitive abilities. Um, kind of kicked in and went into overdrive, you know, during the, the caregiving um, process, um, you know, and, and and the fact that you know there's um, there's just so much um, to be gained, you know, from going through the process. And again, I mean, when you're in the you know the day to day challenges of that, sometimes it might be hard to see. But you know, many, and in many of these cases, it was hindsight. But you know, nonetheless, you know that gift is there to be received if you choose to to take upon that that challenge and, and also recognize you know what what you get as a result. Right, I like that. Well, you know, an, an hour can go by pretty fast. I want to make sure the audience knows how to get your book, and uh, can you share with us uh, anything about your platform um, and uh, how the audience can connect with you? 
Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Um, the book, uh, The Heart and Soul of Caring, is on Amazon, but also um, you can also avail. It's also available through my website. Now, my website, byteradio.me, uh, B-I-T-E radio.me. Um, on that, it has my radio uh, work, you know, as far as the shows, which I have three times a week, and then and then it also has links to the platforms that the show is aired, which is. Uh, of course, Blog Talk, which which we're on. Um, it's also iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. So on on that homepage, there's you know links to all of that. So if people want to subscribe for free, they can easily access it there. And, and my my calendar has up to upcoming shows for the usually for the next couple months. Right, I like that. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Well, the only thing I would say is that, you know, when, when, particularly with the, the caregiving aspect, you know, is that, you know, if if you find yourself having to be a caregiver, um, you, know, you know, recognize that, you know, there is there is value in what you're doing. Keep in mind the, the essence of the individual for whom you're caring. Um, sometimes, particularly with, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia, it can be really challenging because uh, the person may not know you and may not appreciate what it is that you're doing, but uh, recognize that in the in the higher realm of things and, you know, in that, that particular soul level, um, you know, I believe that they are grateful for, for what it is that you provide and that, uh, you know, you not only help them, but you also help yourself. You help, you help your soul grow um, as a result of, you know, of providing that unconditional love. Well, I like that. Well, Robert, thank you for being our guest tonight. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I appreciate your input. Well, thank you, Les. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share. And and I, I we're connected on Facebook, and I love all of the posts that you do. They're very inspiring. So, you know, I'd recommend if uh, your listeners aren't uh, connected to you there, on you know, to to do that because it's it's really fun. It's nice to have a an uplifting message to start the day, and um, and that's a really good thing that you do. Thank you. We've been talking with Robert Sharp, and the topic tonight has been the heart and soul of caring, the joys and challenges of being a caregiver. You know, we've been talking about pretty much the end of life here. I mean, people going through a transition that can take from months to years to perhaps even a decade. It it might be good to also add to this perspective, you living your life now. Maybe you're not a caregiver right now, but are you are you following the impulse of your heart and your soul, or do you spend your entire day in your ego? Does your ego run your whole life, or is there windows of opportunity where your heart and your soul can give you inspiration that you actually take action on? There's a curious thing that happens. There's a wisdom, there's an understanding that I think transcends the ego by far. But yet if we don't open up a a slot in our consciousness, meditation can do that, just being still. And and sometimes daydreaming can be that vehicle. But to, to give our heart and our soul an opportunity 
to have some say, to have some sway in what actually happens day to day. It's always a pleasure for me to bring you episodes like this. Boy, howdy, we've been on this show for a long time now. Compared to some, not very long, but it's uh, it's always a pleasure sharing this time with you. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Thanks for listening. Until next This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast to bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.